Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, going to the end of the chapter. It's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this this passage this morning, I am overwhelmed by the depths of it. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be so gracious as to give us a glimpse into your glory, into your preeminence this morning. Or that we would not cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace that could be ours, but that we would pursue first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you to provide the rest. That we would first and fully and foremost pursue you, love you, In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As we transition to Redemption Church, we're talking about this idea. You'll hear these a lot. Love God, love His church, love people, and understand they are centered all on one thing. Love. See, even in the beginning of 1 Timothy, which is one of my favorite books as a pastor because it's written to a young pastor, and Paul tells Timothy in the beginning, he says, don't waste your time on irreverent myths and silly discussions and things that you don't know the answer to. And he, and he says, basically, don't get into all these arguments about things and divisions, but he says, but our, the aim of our charge is love. 
When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment, as we'll get to in a minute, he says it's all centered on love, that the whole thing is centered on love, that the heart is the issue here, that uh, Richard Baxter said that uh, we ought to desire a thousand times more to be holy than to appear so. So often we're concerned about how we come across, that we would come across as holy. What we forget is that Jesus, just like when Adam and Eve hid and, and thought that they were hiding from God, we cannot hide from God. We may be able to convince other people that we have some level of holiness, but when God sees our hearts, he knows exactly what's in there. As a matter of fact, we've talked about the heart is the main issue. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. In other words, there's nothing more deceitfully wicked in this world than your heart. No one lies to you more than you. No one has deceived and disappointed and betrayed you more than you. This is why our eyes have got to turn from ourselves and turn to God. And this is what we want to talk about. So our main idea for this morning, as the redeemed of God, is that the redeemed are called to love God with a high view of Him. By and through His Word. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We see this, as I said earlier, the greatest command of the redeemed is to love God. Not to just put Jesus first this year. It's not just the first commandment. It's the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, 36-38, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He's trying to get into this debate with Him. Which is more important? Of all the laws, which is more important? And God answers with the Shema out of the Old Testament. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is on the back of our kids' bulletin this morning. This is the first for them to to draw with it on a puzzle. This is, this is a huge verse. This is, this is massive for us to see and understand what's going on in this, in this verse. That we... A.W. Tozer tells us that the way we view God is the most important thing about us, but he also says, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. The way you view God will decide the way you do life. It'll decide what you let master you. It'll decide what you let get you out of, out of, out of sorts and get upset. It'll decide uh, how disciplined you are at things, how you approach money, how you approach your marriage, how you approach finances, how you approach your ethic at work. It, it will decide all those things. See, when we do our New Year's resolutions, we often think on self-serving things, almost always, don't we? And I'm not, I'm not trying to get on to you. As I do the same thing, but we go, I want to be healthier. I want to have more money, or I want to be a better father, a better uh, husband. Those are all wonderful 
goals, but what we've got to understand is, is rather than just trying to be better versions of ourselves, it's better to admit that we are lowly and in desperate need of God's intervention into every arena of our lives. That if we are to just sanction Him to this section of our life on Sunday morning, then we are missing what God has for us. That He has something far greater for your life than church attendance. I mean, please, Lord, I love, I love coming to church here, but please, Lord, let it be better than this. Let it be more than just this. See, if, if, if being a follower of Christ is just about coming here, then on a bad Sunday, what do you have? But if gathering here It's about an opportunity to gather with other believers and look upon God and praise God and look to His Word and worship Him. Then then no Sunday is bad when we sing to God and when we look at His Word. And if you disagree with me with that, I I just want to challenge you on something. We plan to have some opportunities for you to do this this year. We didn't last year really, but we want to have some more for you this year to go overseas. I would challenge you, go overseas. Go to a worship service in, in a third world country. Go somewhere where they don't have, where, where we are unbelievably wealthy in this room. Where you may not think you're wealthy, but in this room we are unbelievably financially blessed. Go somewhere and worship with those people in those circumstances. And, and, and watch and see what it's like to love God more than anything else because you have nothing else. See, the danger with having things is it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lean in on those things rather than just lean in on God. The redeemed love God with a high view of Him. We believe that God has called us to be a part of the redemption of our community and the culture through making much of Jesus. We hold a high view of Jesus because we can't hold a high enough view. As we just celebrated Christmas, He is Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus, if we want to know God, then we ought to look to Jesus. We, We can't love things well that we don't know. This is why one of our things when we talk about discipleship here, we always say head, heart, hands, habits, right? So it starts with a knowledge. It starts with with a relationship. This is what's unique about Christianity is that we don't just have a God that we hope we don't tick off so much that he throws lightning bolts at us or that we can make happy enough that he allows us to, to go be in some form of paradise. We have a God who right now on this earth today desires a loving, intimate relationship with you. But you've got to know Him. And if you, to know God is to love Him. To love God, it will come out through your hands. And then I'll start with also with good habits. As you plan out your resolutions, think through habits that help you increase your affection for the Lord. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. <clears throat> but in these last days, so today, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
The beginning of our passage today, as we're about to get into Colossians 1, starts with a really, really meaty section. I can't get through it enough. And so this Hebrews 1 tells us something I think that's key, that, that see, we are we're unbelievably blessed. And I don't want you to miss it. To know God is the greatest privilege in life. But see, before Jesus came to the earth and, and, and died on the cross to pay for your sins and resurrected three days later to defeat death, before that happened in the Old Testament times, before the Holy Spirit came down to inhabit the believers and followers of Christ, before all of that in the Old Testament times, it says in Hebrews, long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so you had a prophet in town and you just hoped you could hear a word from the Lord from the prophet. And that was the best way for you to hear from the Lord. And then after Malachi, we have 400 years of silence of no prophets speaking. But then Jesus comes and he tells us in Hebrews here that that's how God used to speak to us. It's just through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Um, I've decided, not this Wednesday night, we don't have services this Wednesday night, just to still let you get out of the holiday schedule, but starting the next Wednesday night, we jump back into everything. Wednesday night dinners, we've got uh, children's ministry, preschool ministry, youth ministry, all those things going on. And right in here for the adults, uh, I'm going to be teaching through the book of Hebrews. Uh, And uh, it may take me all year long, but we're going to have a a fun time in here going deep into the book of Hebrews, starting with this Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Uh, this gives us a good look into, so now we get into our actual passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. We're not going to get real far before I've got to stop again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now this, this is huge. If we want to know what God is like, we need only to look to Jesus. This is how we're blessed. This is the gift that God has given us. See, we could just have to listen through prophets, but now we get to not only have access to the Holy Spirit, we have access to God's Word. And in God's Word, we see all these stories of Jesus and all the things that He's done. And we get to look at those and understand God's Spirit, understand God's heart, understand God's desires for you. And so as you see in the Scriptures, Jesus interact with lepers who no one else wants to touch. They're, they're so sick that they're called the untouchables. They're called the unclean. That they had to carry a bell around with them and and announce to people when they were coming around so that no one would accidentally touch them. And we see Jesus interact with them by touching them. We see Jesus interact with the adulterous woman by lifting her head. By loving her with Zacchaeus. By saying, hey, let's go have dinner at your house. When we see Jesus redeem the lost, the broken, and those addicted to religion, we see the heart of God in flesh. That's what Christmas was about. And it's huge implications on how we view God. Let's keep going. Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I wish I could unpack all of that. But we don't have time to unpack all of that. I'm going to challenge you this week. Uh, You guys don't do very good with the homework I give you, but I'm going to keep giving you homework, and you're going to you're going to you're going to listen. You're going to understand. Just like your mama made you eat vegetables for your own good, I'm giving you homework for your own good. So your homework this week: take Colossians one fifteen through twenty three. I'm going to expound on twenty four through the end of the chapter more, but I'm just going to skim through this first part. Take this home this week, every day this week. Read Colossians 1, 15 through 23 every day and write down every question you've got. And if you want, send me those questions. I may even take a Wednesday night out of Hebrews and just teach through it if you want. If, if, if I see that you'll do the homework and you've got the questions, I'll take a Wednesday night and just teach through this passage. But I'm going to tell you, this passage alone is so packed with unbelievable truth about Jesus. So I just want to point a few things out to you. That Jesus is preeminent and preexistent. He is above all things, before all things, the reason for all things, the creator of all things. That's what preeminent means. That there's nothing that goes above Jesus. There's nothing more important than Jesus. There's nothing that holds anything above Jesus. There's, there is nothing greater than Jesus. That Jesus is the greatest fill in the blank. This is when we look at the Old Testament, when we see the story of David and Goliath, instead of seeing the story of David and Goliath and seeing yourself as David and Goliath as your problems, Jesus is David. You're the Philistines or David's brothers that are too scared to do anything. Jesus is the greater David. When you see Daniel in the lion's den, that's not a story just about overcoming. Jesus is the one who rescues Daniel. When you see the story of Abraham, the one from whom the promise is fulfilled, Jesus is the greater Abraham. When you see Adam in the very beginning and Adam falls to sin with Eve, Romans 5 tells us that Jesus is the greater Adam. He's the one that doesn't mess it up. Jesus is the greater Jimbo. Jesus is the greater you. John the Baptist said it so well. He must increase and I must decrease. If you want to know how to do that in your life, you take a passage like this and you meditate on it. And you ask God to reveal truth about himself to you as you meditate on this this week. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. We talk a lot here about not Jesus came to reconcile all things, but in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that he has given to us, the redeemed, the, the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation to carry on out now. But he, from, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The peace came with a price. You don't just get peace with God because you decide to be a better person. Your good will not outweigh your bad. 
Do you understand that? That if you've got some hope of holiness within you, if you've got some hope that at the end of all things, when you stand before God, that he'll go, you know, you gave a good effort there. That's not how it works. You don't get a pass for being a decent person. Peace with God comes with a massive price. The blood of his cross. And this, so finally, all that about Jesus. And now we get to you. You've been waiting for that, I know. But now we get to you. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. See, you weren't a decent person doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, by the price of the cross and his blood on the cross, in order, why did he do it? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Give me an amen on that. There is no greater news in the Bible than that right there. That Jesus through his blood can present you holy and blameless. There's no one in here holy and blameless. There's no one in here who's been holy and blameless this week. Your 2017's already messed up, I promise you. You've already messed it up. But Jesus paid a price for you to be presented as holy and blameless. I have yet to get over that. I, I pray that you have not gotten over it either. Because... He says something interesting here. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then verse 23. This is why I hope you've never gotten over this. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And of which I, Paul, and of which I, Jimbo, became a minister. This is not saying, if you don't continue in your faith, you lose your salvation. It is saying, if you are saved, you will continue in your faith. That even Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seeds. That there, we, have to, we have to be honest enough to admit in here, especially in here, especially in here. There are people, lots of them, and I promise you some of them are in here right now. Many have stood in pulpits who who profess the name of Christ with their mouths, but their hearts are far from Him, and they don't even know it. In the the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get to Matthew 7, 21, which is one of the scariest passages in all of the Bible, where Jesus says that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And He will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Pray a thousand times more to be holy than to appear to be so. Paul's saying here, I mean, he's giving you some meat here. I mean, some serious meat in Colossians 1 about how incredible Jesus is. And then he says, now you, and he gets into this unbelievable news about how Jesus has paid with the, the price of his blood on the cross for you to be presented holy. But then he goes, but listen, if indeed... Basically, if indeed this was real for you, 
if indeed this was real, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, where's your hope? I'm not saying you can't have seasons where you don't hope. But I'm telling you, the Bible says that only a few find the way. Billy Graham said that the majority of the people that have accepted Christ as crusades are not Christians. You need to understand that making a profession of faith, that saying you love Jesus alone doesn't do anything. The true children of God are transformed. That The Bible says you're a new creation. The old life is gone and a new has begun. If there has not been transformation in your life, I don't think you've truly encountered the gospel. I think you've heard it. But he says here, and we could go all over the place, continue in the faith. And steadfastness. All right, let's keep going. We're going to run out of time. The redeemed know and love God by and through His Word. The reason I want you to meditate on Colossians 1, 15 through 23 is it will help you get a high view of Jesus, a high view of God. But we love God by and through His Word. See, He's given us this gift And it's an incredible gift that he's given us. Continue on. This is what drives Paul. Verse 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Don't don't get tripped up. Don't get twisted on what he's saying there. It's just a weird Greek phrase. It's difficult to translate. If you look uh, over in Philippians, you don't have to. You'll see because you probably don't have Greek in your Bible. But if you were to look, there's that Greek phrase, uh, filling up what is lacking, uh, is used another time by Paul to talk about Paul wanted to, to carry uh, a gift. Uh, so, oh no, some people wanted to carry a gift to Paul while he was in prison, but they weren't able to do it. So they sent some people to fill what was lacking in them. And so all that Paul's saying here, he's not saying that, that Christ's affliction is lacking anything. That's, it's a weird way to say it in English that can be misconstrued. What Paul's saying here is that what we said earlier, we've been passed on the ministry of reconciliation. That we carry on the gift that Jesus has given, uh, of which uh, which he became a minister. So verse 27, to them God chose to make known, oh no, no, here we go. Now rejoice, for which I became a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make, verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. So, so in other words, Paul's goal for the Colossian church here, for Colossae, is not, uh, hey man, uh, come listen to the guy preach on Sunday mornings and, and let that just fill you with the word of God and then you can wait until next week. That, that's not what, the word needs to be made, how, how known? Fully known. Everybody say fully known. Now understand, you won't accomplish that in this life. But you're supposed to pursue that. 
You, you need to be spending time on your own in God's Word. You need to be sitting under the teaching of God's Word in Sunday mornings. And listen, if this isn't your church and you've got another church, I'm very, very rarely ever going to say, hey, don't go to that church or don't like that church. But the one thing you ought to look for in a church isn't the style of music. It isn't the way you're supposed to dress. It isn't how young or old the pastor is. It's when the pastor gets in the pulpit, is he preaching to you God's word or his opinion? That ought to be the primary thing you look for in a church. It's the primary burden that drives me. This is what drives Paul when he's writing this. The redeemed are called to embrace the mystery of Christ in us. Because we've not just been called to simply know God in a cerebral way, but we've got to know Him. We've got to go from the head to the hearts. Head, hearts, hands, habits. It's got to go from the head to the heart. By and through His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we start to unfold the grand mystery that is Christ in us. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. This is what he's, he's talking about, what I was talking about earlier, about how we used to just have the prophets, so we used to get these glimpses of God and His presence and His Word, but now we've had Jesus in the flesh, and we have His Word right here, now revealed to His saints, not just to the prophets, but to the saints, to the redeemed. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. What is the mystery? What is the glory? It's that Christ is in you. The mystery and the glory is he's not just through a prophet, that he's not just in the pastor, but that the Holy Spirit as a child of God is in you, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. To know God by and through his word, to embrace the mystery of Christ in our lives, ultimately leads head, hearts, hands to action. It leads to loving God with our lives. The redeemed love God through pointing others to his glory. One of the greatest and often costliest ways we love God with our lives is by pointing others to the glory of Jesus regardless of the cost. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If and, and then when asked what the greatest commandment was, it's to love him and then to love others. The second is like it, which we'll get to. Love people. Love God. Love his church. Love people. But it, but it has to begin with knowing God and loving God. And, and so if we under, start to understand and grasp the, the mystery of the riches of Christ in us, like it talks about, if we start to grasp how amazing it is to be a child of God, to be loved by God, to be redeemed by God, to be reconciled by God, if, if all that weighty truth starts to become a little bit real to us, then we will desire for others to know it. We will desire to point others to that, and not so that we can check marks and, and make people join our club, but that we recognize how great it is to be a child of God. We do this in every area of our life. You find a new restaurant that you think is amazing. What do you do? You tell all your friends about it, right? You go to a movie that was incredible. You can't stop quoting it to each other. You, you, you watch a crazy football game and you watch Ohio State fall apart and, 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 you, and you talk about it. 
you, you watch different things happen and you, and you want to share it with others. If you've never shared Christ with anyone else, I wonder how impactful it really was for you to have encountered him. I pray it's something you never get over. Now, it'll cost you. Now, in this, in this country, uh, as of right now, it won't cost you your life or your freedom. And most likely, it won't cost you your job. Now, all over the world, that's not true. It's a different story. But here, it may cost you some awkwardness. It could cost you a friendship. It could cost you a relationship. It could cost you a business deal. What does Paul say at the end of chapter 1? Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Everyone ought to hear the goodness of Jesus. And you ought to tell them. It ought to be your desire that every single person on earth could be presented mature in Christ. This is what he's saying. As Paul is saying, I recognize I'll never accomplish my New Year's resolution. I recognize that my goal is so lofty that it won't happen. But for this I toil with all the energy that Christ gives me, with all the strength that Christ gives me, with all my life, with every aspect, with every arena. This is what my life will be about. That everyone may be presented mature in Christ. Do you have a lost friend, a lost family member that doesn't know Jesus, that that needs Jesus, and you just haven't built up the courage to share the, the gospel with them? Could I challenge you to pick one person this morning for 2017? One person. I'm not going to give you a goal that's crazy and high. I'm going to give you one person. If everybody could pick one person in their lives that they know that's lost. Now, maybe you go... I don't know anybody that's lost. You got a year to figure it out. You got a year to find somebody. I want to challenge you. Share the gospel with one person this year. Do you know most people who profess Christ never share the gospel with anybody their entire lives? Pick one person. I want you to pray for that person every day. In a minute when we have the response time, I'd love for you to come and, 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 and beg and plead with God. Because you never know. Look, Pray like the persistent widow. Go after it. One family member, one friend. And, and listen, you can, you can come talk to me. And, and I'd love to share with you how to share the gospel. If you say, well, Pastor, I don't know how to share the gospel. Don't let those excuses keep you from fulfilling what God has called you to. That's why I'm here, is to help you with that. I'd love to sit down with you and, and, and talk with you about that. And, and, and resource you and pray with you. 
What if everybody said in 2017, I haven't counted, there's probably like, what, 80 people in here? Something like that. If half of us did it, if half of us did it, there'd be 40 salvations. Think about it. Last year, you know how many people we baptized in 2016? 27 people. Record-breaking year. Incredible. Record-breaking year. 27 people got baptized in here. That's incredible. But it's sad that that's a record-breaking year. One person you could share the gospel with. I'd be glad to help you, but I want to equip you to do it. And so I'm just going to go ahead and be bold enough to say, please don't do this. Don't come to me and say, my neighbor needs to hear the gospel. Would you come over? You laugh, but it happens. What I'd rather you do is call me and say, my neighbor needs to hear Jesus. Will you teach me how to do that? And if you want, I'll go with you. But I'm going to want you to do the talking. I'm going to tell you, if you'll do it, it feels a lot better than losing a lot of weight. It feels a lot better than saving a lot of money. To get to see somebody else grab the glory of Jesus in their life is unbelievable. It's an incredible thing to watch. It's an incredible thing to witness, to watch the Holy Spirit awaken a dead soul, to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh, to make the old gone and the new begin is something incredible. And you have the same access to the Holy Spirit that I do. So I'd love to equip you to do that. So my, my homework for you for the year is one person. One person that you pray for, that you ask God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with. And understand, sharing the gospel with them once probably won't do it. They say statistically people need to hear the gospel 7 to 12 times before they ever receive it. Oftentimes people will have 20 encounters with the gospel before they ever surrender to Jesus. But look, set a goal of once. Let's try to supersede the goal, but set a goal once. Once this year, share the gospel. And then, here's what I would love more than anything in the world. If you would, even if it's an epic failure, share the story with me. I want to hear it. Email me, write me a note, call me, take me to lunch, whatever you want to do. I mean, the lunch option is my favorite one. (laughs) But share the story with me. I want to hear you tell the story about you, how scared you were, how nervous you were, but how God provided the opportunity. It fires me up to hear those stories. Or let me just pray with you when you say, boy, it went horrible. Okay, let's keep praying for God to just move. Okay? So that's your homework for the year. Your homework for the week is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Meditate on that this week. Bring me back your questions if you've got any. And then as we go into our time of response here after I pray, I've been talking mostly to believers, to the redeemed in here this morning. But if that's not you, maybe even you're one of those that I talked about in the very beginning that has been religious for a really long time. And if, if we're honest, there's not been a continued faith, a steadfast, there's just a kind of facade of this is what you're supposed to do. And so you've been coming. 
this hasn't been transformative in your life, then come, be bold enough to come pray about that. Come pray. Come pray with me. Come pray at the stairs. Let's be a church that takes things before God and lays them at His feet and trust Him. Maybe you've never accepted Christ in any way or never even pretended to. I would love to talk to you this morning. I'd love to talk with you after church this week. Whatever works best for you. But let me know that. Don't, don't leave this building without letting me know that you want to know more about that. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Lord, I wish I had the ability to expound upon it better. Uh, just the depths of, of what you wrote through your servant Paul in Colossians overwhelms me. It blows my mind. Um, the mystery of Christ in us. This mystery, this mystical key to unlocking immortality and favor with God given to us through the price of the cross. Lord, I pray that if there are those in here this morning that have never surrendered their lives to you, Lord, that they would understand that you paid a price on the cross to be able to present them as holy and acceptable and redeemed before himself. That he poured his wrath out on himself, on you, that you poured your wrath out on yourself so that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for the lost in our lives. Lord, that if we don't have one in our mind and heart right now, that during this time of response, that you would put that on our hearts. Lord, as we go into this year and we see how broken we are, that you would help us to see ourselves as redeemed. Lord, please move amongst us. In Jesus' name I pray.